Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill-Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 94. Yep. <laughs> but should we start? <laughs> should I do it? Doing it again for the 94th time. How's that? We're back, baby. We're back. <laughs> How was your week? Oh, man. You know, just uh, fine. It was fine. Lots of work. I was telling you beforehand that I have been taking a lot of trips in my mind this week. I love that. I- I realized I was like, oh my gosh, I have all of these trips, like all of these plane tickets that I had to cancel last year that I can in some time soon use. And so I want to start planning all these trips. I, of course, you know, sometimes forget that I do have a full-time job that uh-huh. I don't have unlimited time off. And that just because I have the the plane tickets doesn't mean I have time to take pl- pay- trips, but I went down this whole rabbit hole of where could I go? What should I do? I was looking at all-inclusive like Ooh, resorts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I totally used to poo-poo the all-inclusive when I was younger. I was always like, I- I'm not doing one of those all-inclusive resorts. I could make my own adventure. Now that I'm 40, I'm like, just I just want to lay here and I just want you to bring me stuff and I want to yes. not have to worry about anything. We, we've gone to one, it was for a friend's wedding and Ben and I were the same way. Like every vacation we've ever taken as a couple was like an adventure. We always would go like on a backpacking trip or go to like, you know, yeah. there was no laying around. It was all experience, which I'm totally for. But then my friend Kieran got married and he got married to a resort in Mexico. And so we went and we were like, oh, this is a vacation. Yeah. Because you don't have to make any choices. You just go to where the food is. Your choice is like, do I want to go to this restaurant or this restaurant? And you're not thinking about money. Like everything's already paid for. And, you know, it was fun because like all our friends were there. So we'd be like, hey, we'll meet you at the pool around two. And then before two, there was like, we just laid around There's and we nothing did, to do. Nothing to do. It was great. It yeah. was like the first relaxing vacation I'd ever been on. And I can't wait to do it again. That was right <sighs> before I got pregnant. So yeah, I've been I've been thinking a lot about that. Oh man. <laughs> I love it. My friend Jill, who hi Jill, she always listens to the podcast. Hey Jill. One of my best friends. She always likes to say, um, come dream with me. Like whenever she wants to think about like big trips we're going to take or like just ideas or whatever, like even though there's no like plans for anything right now because everything's yeah. so uncertain, she still just goes, let's dream for a little bit. Oh, Jill, Where are we, going? we need to dream together because that going? is like my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I went so many places and I was just huh. sitting in my home office in my bedroom. I love it. You guys send <laughs> us your dreams. Yeah. Send us your dream vacations and we'll uh, copy them all and we'll do yeah. we'll do them. <laughs> I do want to know that. I want to know cuz I feel like sometimes I do, I feel like I don't have enough imagination about where to go and what to do. Mm-hmm. So, I want everybody to send in what has been the best, most interesting, most 
fun, relaxing, or adventurous, whatever, vacation that you've ever been on? Oh, my God. I just had the best idea ever because I'm okay. so smart. But it's also just piggybacking off of your idea. <laughs> that's the way they had – that's how it happens. But and I was piggybacking off of your idea. What if we start some kind of vacation pay it forward to where – because like the ultimate vacation is one that you don't have to plan anything. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to do anything. What if you took your vacation that you did once before that was amazing and you mapped it all out and then you gave, you gifted that itinerary like that to plan. someone and then someone gifts you one and you don't know what you're going to get. It's just, here you go. Here's your amazing vacation. This is this. You're going to eat this meal. You're going to do this. You're going to go to this place. Right? That is amazing. Should we start that? I think we should. That's our next dumb love project. And if yeah. you guys are in, <laughs> if you guys like this idea, then email us or message us or find us on any of the socials and we will arrange for someone to send you their vacation. Yes. And so you like- and then you have you to set, send a vacation. Maybe you set a few parameters like, I like the mountains and I want to be active or I like the beach and I'm a vegan or whatever. I don't you know, do maybe. drugs. I love <laughs> drugs. <laughs> You tell us. (laughs) You tell us. (laughs) And then we'll match you up and then you're going to go on an amazing planned for you vacation. That you have to pay for yourself. That you have to pay for yourself. We're not going to do that part. (laughs) We're already losing money. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Love it. Let's get into our quickies. Okay. Let's do it. Come dream with us. Come dream. (laughs) All right. Well, I think I am first on the quickies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my quickie comes from the New York Times by Heather Murphy and the Huffington Post by Jeremy Bloom, and it was sent to me by my very own husband, Ben Brooks. Okay. So, and this one actually took place in our very own backyard, as so many stories do, right here in the Atlanta area. So four months ago in November, Andreas Flatten quit his job at AOK Walker Auto Works in Peachtree City, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a business run by a man named Miles Walker. And as you can imagine, quitting a job during a pandemic must have meant that it was like a super really bad job. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so Andreas's girlfriend, Olivia Oxley, actually posted on Facebook that Andreas had asked for his final paycheck about $915, and Walker refused to send it. So Olivia wrote, first things first, when Andreas quit, he gave a written resignation letter with two weeks' notice. After Miles Walker of AOK Walker Auto Works continued to be the asshole he is and make a normal workday hell, making unnecessary comments about my boyfriend's daughter and just being an all-around dick, that two weeks turned into five days. So basically, he gave two weeks, Andreas gave two weeks, but then ended up only working for five days. Gotcha. But he did, he like returned his uniform, all pressed and did everything he was supposed to do to quit. But then Walker refused to send the paycheck. So Andreas and Olivia threatened to go to a lawyer. And that is when 91,500 pennies showed up. (gasps) What a motherfucker. Yes, the end of the driveway. my God. So around 7 p.m. on March 12th, a video recorded by their doorbell camera shows a young man with long wavy hair show up on his front porch. And the guy apparently was some just some guy who worked at the repair shop was like, hey, man, your money is at the end of the driveway. And they did like didn't know what was what they meant by that. But like an hour later, Andreas tried to drive to the store. He found that his 
his driveway was completely blocked by a mountain of pennies and a note in the middle of the pennies that just said, fuck you. Oh my God. What an asshole. All like that's shitty because the guy just quit his job and it, that's so vindictive. It's so vindictive. But I will say this one time my friend Angela lost a bet <laughs> and she paid my friend like a hundred dollars all in two dollar bills. Like she went to the bank and asked for two dollar bills. Yeah, but see, that's just funny. that's funny, right? That's funny. Yeah, so that's not funny. only these pennies, it's not just pennies. Like Ugh. Andrea said, it would be one thing if it was just pennies. I wish it was just pennies, but the pennies are covered in oil. Oh my God. And they were just like dumped there. And so in total, they weigh about 500 pounds. And oh my so God. Andreas and Olivia gathered all the pennies into a wheelbarrow and the wheels actually deflated because of all of the weight. Oh, and my he God. said he now spends every night sitting in his garage cleaning the coins and he said i think it's going to be a lot of work for money i've already worked for and so andreas and livia thought about filing a lawsuit but they knew that this is like technically not illegal right and so the new york times actually talked to eric lucerio who is a spokesman for the u.s department of labor and he wrote there is nothing in the regulations that dictates in what currency the employee must be paid And Walker, who is the owner of the shop, when he was asked about the pennies, he said, I don't know if I did that or not. I don't really remember. It doesn't matter. He got paid. That's all that matters. He's a fucking weenie for even bringing it up. Oh, my God. Thank You know what? I'm just glad this guy doesn't work for this guy anymore. I know. Because he sounds like a fucking tool. Yeah. And so CVS 46 talked to other former employees and they confirmed that the repair shop was a toxic work environment. And he said that Walker disparages female employees and sometimes rips up pay stubs in front of workers. And apparently this whole thing, the reason that Andreas quit was because he had to pick up his daughter from daycare. And when he was hired, he told them, I need to be there by five to pick up my daughter from daycare. And then, of course, that was like never honored. And so that's why he ended up quitting. But once this came out, once Olivia posted this on Facebook, the business has been slammed on uh, Yelp and Google. And the story has totally gone viral. So fuck that guy. I know. Fuck that guy. So that is A-OK Walker Auto Works in Peachtree City, Georgia. Sounds not A-OK. Sounds not A-OK to me. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Ready for my quickie? Yep. Okay, so this actually happened a couple of years ago, a few years in 2017, but for some reason it was showing up in um, Instagram and TikTok stories about this couple in Tasmania, Australia. Okay. Yeah, a couple named Anna and Terry. It doesn't say their last names and I can't find their last names anywhere. I think maybe they're just trying to um, protect their identity, although they are in full... um, face pictures and videos and (laughs) very viral but they had been dating for one year when terry ended up giving anna this necklace that he had made for her it was made out of pine it's called juan pine which is was in the shape of a spiral shell necklace okay and so i can picture it can you picture Mm -hmm. okay so um anna wore it every day And she wore it everywhere she went. She never took it off. And then a year and a half later, the couple decided to take a trip 
Stirness, Scotland. It was one of her like bucket list destinations and they ended up going okay. there. And they went over to this cave called Smoo Cave. That's when Terry asked Anna if he could see her necklace for a minute because he wanted to take some pictures of it along the rocks. So when he, and so she said, okay. And so she gave him the necklace and that's when Terry then opened the necklace what? and revealed that inside of it was an engagement ring that <gasps> she'd had it the, the whole, whole time? time. So the entire year and a half, like he knew after a year of knowing her that he wanted to marry her, but he kept it in the necklace for a year and a half. At the time when this article came out, they hadn't, and she said, yes, she was like happy and excited, but a little bit of her was um, mad that he had put it in the necklace because like, she was like, I could have, there was apparently there was like one point where she almost traded the necklace with the blacksmith. Because oh, she really? liked something that he made and he, he made and he really liked her necklace, so she came very close to doing that. Or like, yeah, I was gonna say, I, I would have jewelry lost it. all. I like, yeah, I lose things all the time. When this article came out in 2017, they hadn't had made wedding plans yet, but they were gonna wait a couple of years to get married. Um, yeah. So hopefully, they're married now. But apparently, this has gone viral and it's now resurfacing and it's going viral again. Oh, by the way, my article is from um, an abcnews.com article written by Joy Marie McKenzie. So I have like, I feel a little bit weird about this story. Why? I don't know. There's something about, um, look, this guy looks so nice. And I'm sure this was all very well thought out and very sweet. But the cynic in me is like, I would feel a little mad. It's It feels a little controlling, right? Yes. Like it feels a little like, I have a secret from you. And, and you it don't doesn't, know it. Yeah. I want to marry you, but I'm not even going to tell you for a year and a half when you right. deserve to know. That's how I would take yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Like the like it's like a – Because I always assume the worst. <laughs> I know. I'm like I can see how he would think this is a beautiful thing and it's, you know, it's not thinking about yeah. like her feelings in it. It's like keeping something from your future wife. I don't know. I'm 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 with you. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel weird and like I mean, I hope that they're happy and I'm sure I'm sure that it was all very um in good natured and well meaning. Yes. yes. But in my mind, I think I would be a little bit like fuck you then. <laughs> <laughs> Like open up the necklace and be like, oh, you know what else is in there? A uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll keep know. the ring. Or what if like he had opened the necklace and inside where the ring was was just a little card that said, fuck you. <laughs> that would have been funny. Or just like, mm, no. Uh, or like try. a like, um, sound effect little thing that went, went wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, I want to hear so. what you guys think about this yeah yeah it did it did strike me as like hmm. I mean all of the but like, I don't want to be a cynic I, I hope yeah. that they're happy and I'm sure that it was all in love I mean it seems yeah. very a very elaborate engagement and yeah so I know so <laughs> Love, love. <laughs> love, love. Love, love. <laughs> Good one, man. Thanks for it. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a wild story? Yes. This one is 
so crazy. Really? Good. Yeah. I, it, I, I'm afraid that like people already know about it because it is, I'm sure, lots of books and probably even movies have been made about it because it is, is so, so fantastical. Like it's so crazy that it happened. But I hadn't heard of it, and so I, I'm very excited about it. it. I got my information from the Daily Mail by Jeffrey Levy, the Shropshire Star by Jack Averty, the Guardian, BBC News, and Wikipedia. Okay. Um, so I should also say that there, are, if you if you hear the story, you want to learn more. There's so much more to learn about it. I just was like, I can't tell everything. Okay. I can't tell you guys everything. You'll have. I mean, to all the little details. Some work. I'm just going to do some work. Okay. 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 So on November 7th, 1974, Veronica Bingham, who had the title of Lady Lucan, so this is obviously is taking place in Great Britain. She showed up at a pub in Belgravia, England, and she was bloodied. She was in (gasps) distress. She told everyone that she had been attacked and held by her ex-husband, Lord Lucan, but had managed to escape. Veronica and Lord Lucan had a contentious divorce and were in the middle of a serious custody battle for their two children. Lord Lucan had begun to spy on his wife and record their phone conversations. He had started telling everyone that she had psychiatric problems. He was like this degenerate gambler. Um, And Veronica told everybody that she feared for her life. So Veronica was taken to the hospital, which is where she told police one other horrifying detail. Her husband, Lord Lucan, had not only attacked her, but he had also killed their nanny. (gasps) And when police kicked in the door to the Lucan's home, they found the body of the nanny, Sandra Rivet, bludgeoned to death in the basement of the Lucan's home. Apparently, Sandra was normally out on on Thursday nights, which this was, but that night she had asked Veronica if she wanted to have a cup of tea before Sandra went out to be with her boyfriend and so it was most likely a mistake that Sandra was killed but around 10:30 that night Lord Lucan called his mother and asked her to go get the children who were still in bed in the Lucan's home oh my god and according to his mother who has the title of the dowager countess he spoke of a terrible catastrophe at his wife's home he told her that he had been driving past the house when he saw veronica fighting with a man in the basement he had entered the proper- property and found his wife screaming so he's basically like i just happened upon all this this was not me mm-hmm. even though veronica very clearly identified the man as her husband mm-hmm. Lord Lucan then drove 42 miles uh, to a friend's home, and there he wrote three letters, two to friends who are attorneys stating, restating the story about the attacker fighting Veronica and saying that he just wanted his kids to know the truth and that he loved them, but that he knew that he was not going to get a fair trial from a judge. And then another letter to an accountant talking about how to settle some of his large debts because he was a degenerate gambler. And he only stayed there for a brief time, and then he disappeared. So this story, as you can imagine, was a huge news story. It captured the attention of the press worldwide. And while some people believe that he had possibly died by suicide, many others thought he fled the country and assumed another identity. Mm -hmm. But police couldn't find any trace of him. Until two weeks later, they got a tip from across the globe in Melbourne, Australia, and a bank teller had reported to the police that there was a handsome, well-spoken Englishman 
which fit the description of Lord Lucan. Apparently, Lord Lucan was like this hot uh, Englishman. Hot Englishman. He like he had, he had he had been he had tested for he was like a little bit of like he was like dabbling in acting, and so he had actually tested for the role of James Bond. Oh, really? Yeah. So he was like that kind of guy. So anyway, like, so there was like the, these reports of this handsome, well-spoken Englishman who was shuffling large sums of money into like from one bank account to another, um, all from foreign banks. And so British police suspected that this was Lord Lucan. So they flew to Melbourne and raided the man's home. And Lord Lucan had a six inch scar on the inside of his right thigh. I just looked him up. He's hot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But police said that when they looked at the man's leg – there was no scar. So this was not Lord Lucan, but instead it was the man who my story is actually about today, John Stonehouse. Wait, so what? Okay, so British police thought it was Lord Lucan, that this man they- was shuffling money. So they went and they raided his home. And they knew that Lord Lucan had a six-inch six scar on the inside of his right thigh and so they made the man drop his pants. And when they looked at the man's leg, there was no scar there. So they arrested the wrong person. It's a totally different person is what you're saying. It was a totally different okay. person. But they were like, this guy is obviously up to something crazy. Yeah, like what did you do? What did you do? Okay. So that's who this story is about. And what's this guy's name? John Stonehouse. I want to see if he's hot. (laughs) So John Stonehouse was born into a political family. His mother was actually the mayor of Southampton, and she was a counselor in the Southampton City Council. John had married Barbara Joan Smith in 1948, and they had two daughters, Jane and Julia, and a son, Matthew. So while John had trained as an economist, he had great political ambitions, just like his mother. And that was something that his wife, Barbara, totally supported. He was first elected as a member of parliament in 1957. He rose quickly in politics. He served as the junior minister of aviation, the minister of the state for technology, and then he was the postmaster general. In 1967, he was appointed to the Privy Council, which is a body of advisors to the queen. So this was like a pretty big, like people thought he may be prime minister one day. And through it all, Barbara, his wife, was described as, quote, an archetypal Westminster wife at her husband's side through thick and thin, mother of his three children and his greatest supporter and encourager. In 1970, his party lost power and John was not appointed to the minority government. I don't really understand how British politics work, but anyway, basically Mm -hmm. he was like out of a job. And the reason he was not appointed to the minority government was that because in 1969, John had been accused of spying for the Czechoslovakian government. And he had actually been questioned several times about this alleged spying, and he had been cleared. But obviously, once his party was out of power, they just like kicked him to the curb. So now that John was out of politics, he turned to the business world. He had a degree in economics. And so he ended up setting up several businesses around the world using his contacts. He told friends that he wanted to make a million dollars in seven years. But by 1974, most of the 23 businesses he had started were failing. And he was in over 800,000 pounds in debt, which is about $10 million in today's money. So on November 20th, 1974, on a business trip to Miami, Florida, a pile of John's clothes 
were found on a beach in Miami. He had told people he was going to go swimming and it appeared that he had either been drowned or possibly killed by a shark. And he was presumed uh-huh. dead and obituaries were published to fight despite the fact that his body was not found. Did they just was- assume shark were there any like Well, they were just like maybe he drowned. Oh, okay. Some people thought maybe he had he had done it on purpose because they knew that he was like in all this debt. Yeah. He was 49 at the time and Barbara, his loyal wife was in such shock when she heard the news that she had to be sedated and the FBI concluded that it was an accidental drowning. But within weeks of his disappearance, rumors started popping up about his shady businesses and people started speculating that perhaps he had faked his disappearance. But Barbara was loyal. She angrily denied those suggestions, said there's no truth to any of the stories. She told The Guardian at the time, my husband is dead and he cannot answer back. She said that the FBI had accepted that her husband had been drowned, that he was a strong swimmer, but he'd always been one to take risks. And so a ceremonial service was held at the House of Commons, and John was presumed dead. But of course, those who had suspected he'd faked his disappearance were right. Mm -hmm. Instead of drowning in Miami, John had fled to Australia to meet, Jen, you're not going to believe this, his mistress. (laughs) And who was, everybody say it with me together, his secretary. could just leave a pile of clothes at the beach and like that's it (laughs) right like i'm just gonna go set my hoodie down somewhere at the park and disappear forever Uh, (laughs) it's a lot easier back then it was so his secretary was this beautiful young woman named sheila buckley so john when he disappeared he had left his clothes on the beach in miami donned a disguise of thick glasses and then with a mustache on it not even just parted his hair in the middle Oh my God. <laughs> just like Clark Kent, like, what? It's like he reversed she's all that, you know? Yeah. He <laughs> was like, glasses, a middle part, <laughs> gross. Um, Get out so of here, he, nerd. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. He went to Hawaii and then he went to Australia where Sheila was waiting for him. Wow. He had spent months before his disappearance planning. Uh, at securing his new identities, he actually took names of two of his dead constituents, Joseph Markham and Clive Muldoon, and began borrowing money before he left, supposedly for business purposes, and he funneled it into accounts in the names of these dead men. And when he got to Australia, he began transferring money into new bank accounts in the names of these guys, which is what raised the suspicions of this bank teller who then alerted the police. So he probably would have never been found if he wasn't if he wasn't so dumb. It wasn't for those crazy (laughs) bank tellers. I mean, his bad luck, of course, was that Lord Lucan had killed Sandra Rivet and attacked his wife, and so people took this report of an Englishman shuffling around large sums of money very seriously. And so, and it happened just within weeks of each other. So, I mean, that was kind of it was kind of by this like weird twist of fate that he was found. Yeah. Wow. So on Christmas Eve of 1974, just a month after he disappeared, John Stonehouse was taken into custody. He was found carrying a passport of Joseph Markham, which police realized was fake. And that was when his real identity was exposed because people weren't looking for John. They just accepted mostly. I mean, there were rumors, but they accepted that he was dead. Yeah. And when Barbara learned that John had been found alive, she immediately flew to Australia to bring him home because she was like, 
oh, thank God, my husband is alive. But when she got there, she was surprised to find that Sheila Buckley, his secretary, was also there, already there with him. And that was the first that poor Barbara heard about the affair. And Australian tabloids like reported on the discovery um, or reported on Barbara's discovery. And she told the paper, she said, I'm still fighting for my marriage. And then Sheila, right? Isn't that crazy? And then Sheila told the tabloids, I'm no scarlet woman. So John fought extradition back to England. But after six months, he was sent back to be tried for his fraud in June of 1975. And he actually wrote in a note to the foreign office to the prime minister. He said, my wish was to be released from the incredible pressures being put on me. Like I love that it's like pressures being put on me. Yeah. Particularly in my business activities and various attempts at blackmail. I considered clearly wrongly that the best action I could take was to create a new identity and attempt to live a new life away from these pressures. Why are you guys always on me? (laughs) Why are you always on me for all this shady dealing I'm doing. Oh, just leave me alone. He said, I suppose this can be summed up as a brainstorm or a mental breakdown. Oh my God. Okay. So at this 68 day trial, John insisted on representing himself and claimed that he had some kind of mental break. But of course the prosecution showed that he had planned his escape for months beforehand. And in August of 1976, he was sentenced to seven years imprisonment for being found after being found guilty of 18 counts of fraud, deception, and theft. In 1978, Barbara finally divorced him, and she later remarried a public con- public relations consultant. And she told the Daily Mail le- years later, "I divorced myself from that other life many years ago." After Barbara divorced him, John had three heart attacks in prison, and because of his Aww. health. He was released after only three years in 1979. Wow. Yeah. Guess who was waiting for him? Sheila Sheila. Buckley. Yep. They got married in 1981. And a year later, their son James was born. So John like went on, but he was like in the public eye. He made a living writing books. He he wrote a memoir called Diary of an Idealist. And he made radio and TV appearances discussing his disappearance. He actually went back into politics. He joined the Social Democratic Party. And he set up a small firm that manufactured electric host hell safes. You know, (laughs) I have to say that I think – the world is a lot more forgiving of a man that fakes his own death and disappearance and right? starts a new life. That if that was a woman that faked her own death, she would just be portrayed as the craziest motherfucker that there was. Like cuckoo, crazy, can't like look at this lunatic. Yeah, you know what I mean. They would just make it. There's no way that she would be able to have a legitimate anything. Right. And especially, like, I think that people look at it as like, well, of course he'd want to leave the ball and chain of his wife and family and this. He was having an affair. he abandoned his whole family. he abandoned everything. Yeah. So it's it's nuts that he was allowed to continue in public life. But but his health was never very good after he got out of jail. So Sheila kind of nursed her husband through ill health. Uh, He collapsed in Birmingham while appearing on Central Live to talk about missing people on March 25th, 1988. He survived, but then on April 4th, he was admitted to the hospital after suffering his fourth heart attack. And at age 62, John Stonehouse died. Mm. 
So some years later, after her husband's death, Sheila said, I feel no attraction whatsoever to be married again. It would be hard to find anyone to match up to John. And Sheila has never remarried. James, uh, their son, was just six when his father died. And Sheila described herself as she was a mother and father to him and says that James hero worships his father. To him, John is God. We talk about him often. Our boys learn to live with the truth of what happened, and he is okay with it. So John's story kind of faded into the background until in 2010, Downing Street papers from 1980 were made public. So it's like after 30 years, kind of like here, you know, things that were classified become public. And in those papers, it was confirmed that John was, in fact, a spy for the former Czechoslovakia. Wow. And Margaret Thatcher, who was prime minister, knew about it. Apparently, she was advised that because there was no definitive proof and because John had already, he at the time he was serving time or he had just served time for the fraud, they were like, there's no reason for, to, for him to be prosecuted as a spy. Wow. And yeah, and so and so people thought, oh, she covered it up, but it was like, no, it was kind of like, what's the point? I think. Yeah. Um, but his motive, like for spying, was not anything ideological. In fact, Barbara said years later, like John despised communism. How he could be equated with spying for a communist regime is beyond me. I can't imagine how this ever happened. But his motive, of course, was money. So yeah. Apparently, he gave information about British uh, military airplanes and some schedules and stuff. And so John was given around 5,000 pounds, which is about 71,000 pounds in today's money. And to that, when she learned that, Barbara said, well, if they were paying him, I don't know where the money went. It certainly didn't come my way. Oh, my gosh. In 2011, John's son she, or John's son was Sheila James, who was then 28, said, I know nothing about my father being a spy, and nor does my mother. And just so you're not left hanging, I will tell you that Lord Lucan was never found. He was eventually tried and found guilty and declared dead many years later. But what actually happened to him remains a mystery. Wow. So does my stories. Dun, dun, dun. John Stonehouse and Lord Lucan. Wow. Or Lucian. I apologize if I said all of those names wrong. <laughs> I think it's Lucan because when I Googled it to see how hot he was, yeah. it looks like Lucan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Good story, man. Isn't that nuts? Yes. Hey. Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a nice little love story? I am. Good. This is a nice little love story. Is this an ice cream love story? Kind of. It's like very, yeah. It's like a <laughs> um, orange Julius. Orange, ooh, okay. Of a love story. All right. Goes down very easy. All okay. right. I'm um, for it. So this, we haven't had one of those in a while. I know. It's just like I can't take any more drama. <laughs> <laughs> just tell me about two nice people meeting, finding each other, and being happy, and that's all I want. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> um, okay, so this came from the Val section of the New York Times, and it was written by Lois Smith Brady. Awesome. Um, yeah. 62-year-old Luis Solis of Boulder, Colorado. He is a business consultant to corporate executives. He travels a lot and he describes himself as he as a Sherpa 
to leaders going beyond the ordinary. So the New York Times referred to him as they said that he's the kind of guy that's more likely to invite you to a sweat lodge than a golf game. If that okay. kind of gives you an idea about Luis. <laughs> okay. And I kind of, I like that guy. I'd rather go to a sweat lodge than a golf game. Just saying. But he's the son of an immigrants from Guatemala, and he grew up in Washington, and he graduated from University of Pennsylvania. He has an MBA and a law degree from Stanford. Very Ooh, smart. Very his, schmancy. His son, from his previous marriage, refers to him as the American Dream times 10. Yeah. And so he does have a son named Sebastian Matias Solis, who is from a previous marriage because Luis had been married before, but he had been divorced for 10 years. Okay. And he really liked being, you know, his divorce life, I guess. Like he liked, well, not, he had been hurt in his first marriage, you know. And yeah. I guess he he remained very comfortable in being unmarried, that he kind of developed a system within in himself to never allow himself to get too serious in any relationship. So he would yeah. date, you know, he's a very outgoing, personable, handsome guy. He would date, but he would always try to keep things light and fun and never too serious. Just short-term dating, I guess, yeah. you know? That's um, understandable. Yeah. He referred to him as relationship management policies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he said that he what he would do is he would avoid the word girlfriend and instead uh-huh. he would refer to um, women as his close friend or dear friend. Oh man, or I bet fun he really pissed friend. off so many women. Oh yeah, or here's my favorite one, or my sporty friend. No, no. 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 Oh. And so he and um and of course like the dude thing like he wouldn't allow any women to keep any like clothing items at his house oh. or anything like that. So I mean it's which is like great if you are being totally upfront about this is where I'm at. This yeah. is what I have to give. But you know it's like so many guys will say that up front and then treat you not you you me but like women yeah. or people as like but then act in every way as a girlfriend, but then the, be like, but just because I told you, I told you how I, it was going to be. Oh, yeah. And then. <laughs> but and you're then, my sporty friend. You're I my told, sporty friend. Who's my sporty friend? Come on. Who's my, who's sporty, my friend? sporty friend? <laughs> <laughs> who's my sporty friend who I want to fuck? Come on. Emma, sporty friend. So in December of 2019, um, Louise was at a New Year's Eve party at the Shine Restaurant and Potion Bar in Boulder. Never been. Sounds lovely. Sounds um, lovely. And it was there that he met a 43-year-old beautiful woman named Haley Nicole Terrell. And like, just like Louise, Haley Nicole had been divorced for 10 years. And she was also very wary of love and relationships she said that in the past men have always found a way of hurting her heart which is so sad and i i get it and so yeah Haley grew up in norman oklahoma and she graduated from southern methodist university and after her divorce 10 years ago she got a job selling art on cruise ships which was pretty cool this is a quote from the New York Times. She said, when I'm in pain, the answer is usually travel. So that's, um, you know, kind of what she did after her divorce. But then she ended up opening up her own electrolysis salon in Boulder called, I love this so much. Okay. I love the name of this electrolysis <laughs> salon. It's called Get Out of Hair. Oh! <laughs> 
<laughs> Haley, I love it. <laughs> that's that's so that's so. I thought I was like I was like going to be like hair be gone or no. get out of hair. <laughs> I love it. So anyway. Hair and gone. I'm trying to think of think of Hair gone. today, gone tomorrow. Yes, that was the one I was trying to come up with. So just hours after Luis and Haley met, they hit it off immediately. And he invited her to go to a concert in Aspen, Colorado. And she said that on one level, she was like, I just met you, you know, and um, she doesn't have any kids, by the way. But she was like, yeah. on, on one level, I was like, I just met you. But on the other hand, she was like, I've always wanted to be that kind of girl, like the, oh, I'm going to Aspen for the weekend because right. you know, she'd never done it. So she said yes. And so they went to Aspen together. And on their trip, they realized how similar they were to each other, you know, um, she was like, you like sporty girls? Well, I'm a sporty, I'm a sporty girl. girl. <laughs> no, she's not. I wouldn't say she's a sporty girl, but they're both business people. They're entrepreneurial. They're yeah. very deep. They And they both love to stay busy, which I can totally relate to. Um, yeah. You know, so apparently Haley had had a stroke when she was 35 years old. Oh, wow. And after that, it was a very long and difficult recovery. So after that experience she just wants to make up for all time that was lost during that her would recovery. really yeah that would a stroke at 35 would really change you I yeah imagine. oh sure and she says that she packs um or her mother says about her her mother pamela jackson said she packs more things into one day than humanly possible yeah and so apparently so does louise and they both had this Big connection. Um, Louise said, I was absolutely stunned by our connection. Call her a unicorn, an exception, different. Call her unique. Call her quirky. She's my kind of outlier. Um, Isn't that sweet? It's very sweet. Because they're both very busy people, January and February after they met, they both were traveling a lot. He traveled for work and he also likes to go to music festivals. So she, he actually says that he goes to 18 music festivals a year, or I guess was before the pandemic, but that's a lot. Yeah. Music fest. And so, and she, you know, was doing a lot of electrolysis training in California. So they would just talk on the phone a lot. Mm-hmm. And apparently, Luis is a big talker. So they yeah. would spend a lot <laughs> of time on talking on the phone. By early March, which is around the time that the pandemic was starting, they were both out to dinner one night back in Boulder, Colorado. And Haley said, I'm thinking we're going to be planning our lives together. And then that's when Louise hit her with the old, I don't see this relationship continuing, he said. Oh, and he said, he said, we'll still hang out. I see us as being dear friends. No. And she was like, <laughs> fuck you. I don't want to be your dear friend, you know? Yeah. So she was like, whatever. And they stopped seeing each other. But they still stayed in touch and friends. But, yeah. you know, Haley was not thrilled. She was wanting more. But then the pandemic hit. And during the pandemic, her stove and her refrigerator suddenly broke down in the end of late March of last year. So right at the beginning of the pandemic. And because of the stay-at-home orders, she couldn't get anybody to fix her appliances and Luis, all of his consulting jobs had been canceled or postponed. Right. So he had all this time. And so he ended up inviting her over to his house because it took eight weeks for those appliances to be replaced 
placed. Oh so, my gosh. Can yeah. you imagine going through the first eight weeks of the no. <laughs> pandemic not being able Without to cook? Without a fridge or a stove? Yeah. So yeah, so he would just invite her to her house, uh, to his house. Louis said, we just hung out at my house watching every possible thing on Netflix and doing a lot of cooking. It created an incredible foundation. Yeah. And so they say that they think that the combination of COVID-19 and the appliances breaking down were the universe's way of making sure that they got back together. Yeah. And so she was spending all this time at his house and him being such a serial dater and not wanting to get close to anybody or whatever, he was really worried that she was going to like get on his nerves being there. But he found that she actually calmed his nerves you know, finally let someone in. He slowed down enough. He let someone in. More than a dear friend. And so (laughs) he said that, um, you know, her outlook of choosing to live fully in the face of massive uncertainty and disruption, that was incredibly seductive to me, he said. Yeah. Um, He said, I do believe that's one major secret to happiness. Just stop worrying. Haley is exceptional at that. You know, we've done a lot of stories about these quarantine COVID couplings, you know, where it's intense real quick because you're just together all the time. And so, I mean, that's kind of, that's what happened with Ben and I, you know? Oh, right. I mean, a different thing. We were hiking. Yeah. So it was was like this intense situation where you're kind of taken out of your normal routine. There was like nothing else around us. It's like we had other obligations. Like we were always together. And we were doing this really intense thing together. And uh, and yeah, I think it like very quickly bonded us and made us see like who each other really was and all of this. You know. Yeah. And they didn't just like watch TV. They really kept each other on their toes by making all these like creative indoor activities and mm-hmm. like dates for each other. And they'd ask each other questions like there's this thing where he put together a 100 word statement of who he is. And uh-huh. then he was like, can you t- in 100 words describe yourself? So yeah. it challenged her to have to look inside herself. You know, they're just very deep like that. Yeah. And it's, he said that over time he stopped like thinking about his, like, you know, he traveled a lot and would always do all these like brainstorming sessions with business people. And he said he had a major shift and he said, now all I want to do is, is sit still and do nothing but hold her hand. Oh. And he also said that he loves seeing her clothes in his closet. Yeah. So very sweet. So in late July, he ended up proposing to um, her with a an amber ring. Apparently he's Mayan and amber is very important to Mayan people. So he proposed to her with an amber ring and she said, Yes, Haley is thrilled. She says about him, he's entrepreneurial and well-educated and charismatic. He's not the guy you're embarrassed to bring to a party. I'm so proud he's by my side. People were worried that maybe they were rushing things because this was like, you know, we were just talking about because it's COVID time. But um, yeah, they actually referred to, I think this is really interesting, that COVID 
they call it the confection oven of romanticism. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like okay. COVID yeah. is 24 seven with someone in an existential crisis mode where we're sort of wondering, am I going to live? And every month feels like a year. So yes, exactly what you were just saying. So weeks before the wedding, they ended up taking a trip that they called the love train. And their love, right. <laughs> their love train was just driving around to different cities, introducing each other to family and friends. Oh, isn't that sweet? Very sweet. I know. And so they said that what they've discovered through this COVID times is like what's important to them is connection and family. So they did that and they made sure that everybody had met each other. And then on September 26th this year, they were married at the Boulder Adventure Lodge, which is a really cute, woodsy, updated hotel that in the middle of the woods, apparently there's a sign on it that says, be dareful out there. Um, and so the ceremony <laughs> happened outside and because he's, it was part Mayan to celebrate his heritage and part Christian to celebrate her heritage. And then they just made up their own rituals, which is kind of cool. That is so cool. yeah, they did this thing where there, so there were 25 guests that came to the, the outdoor wedding at this makeshift altar that they had made. And they asked all of their guests to bring gifts, like a small meaningful gift to put on the altar and then also give them one word that they use to describe love. So for instance, his younger son gave them a pair of sunglasses that he had worn to a music festival that him and his dad had been to together. Yeah. And then he said that his word was dance. And oh. then his, the, <laughs> Haley's father, David Terrell, gave the couple a golf ball. And apparently Lewis had, uh, Louise had played golf with them the day before the wedding. And he said, Luis played golf with us yesterday. Not bad. He could use some practice. My word is fulfill. So like, <laughs> that's kind of funny. It's like, like my word is thanks, practice. Dad. <laughs> so they wrote vows to each other and they vowed to accept the other as quote, as you are and as you are not. They ended up going on a nice honeymoon in Mexico where she didn't know where they were going to go. He just told her to bring a bikini and uh, or a bathing suit. And then while they were on their way, he was like, we're going to Mexico. So amazing. Uh, yeah. That's like my dream. I know. <laughs> kind of. And my nightmare. <laughs> and, and when the New York Times asked them where they saw their future going, he said, now is this perfection going to last forever? I don't know, but it's the right place to begin. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I'm sorry that I poked fun at the, the sporty gal, but I think it is like, it's like a good- Sporty gal. I feel like it's very vulnerable for him to admit that that's how he was and also yeah. to be like, look, I have- I have evolved and that's what people that's what you want and sometimes it just takes the right person like exactly maybe it wasn't that he was so closed off it was that he just hadn't found the right person to open up to after being hurt for so long right so that's and beautiful I wish all the best nice for them it's a nice little love story it is a nice little love story and we should all <laughs> find if find our way to Boulder, Colorado to get electrolysis at Get Out of Hair. Get Out of Hair. <laughs> All right. Should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So my something dumb is another 
hugely depressing dumb which i think everybody is focused on it's just the mass shooting in boulder yes. and i just am who coincidentally as- is where the story that yes was- <laughs> yeah exactly so so yeah i don't think there's much more to say about that i'm feeling for all the families of the victims and the community and um and of course always wishing for gun control and I know I have mentioned it before, but Every Town is a great organization if you're interested in learning more about what you can do to help gun control. Or Moms Demand Action is an organization that I support. Mm-hmm. And um, and I also wanted to give, for the thing that I love, of course, are the helpers. So I want to give some places that you can send money to if you have if you want to help the families of the victims. So that you can look at their GoFund. A lot of them have GoFundMe pages. There is also an organization called the Colorado Healing Fund, which is supporting victims' families and the surrounding community. That's at coloradohealingfund.org or the Colorado Fallen Hero Foundation. They accept donations to provide line of duty death response and memorial planning for the officer that was killed. And that is Colorado Fallen Hero Foundation. So those are just a couple places. Yeah, that you can... That you can look. So, Jen, do you have something um, light and fun? Well, you didn't say something you love. Well, that's what I love is the helpers. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, mine are not light and fun. I'm going to just say it really quick so I don't get too emotional. But my something dumb is my dog, Frank, did pass away this week. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's, it's life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, his shit. It's shitty life. Um, no, he was a wonderful dog and we will miss him greatly. Yeah. And but I'm glad that he is not in pain anymore. And the something I love is all of my wonderful friends that have been so supportive. Thank you to my friend Kristen for watching my kids for me. Thank you um, to you, Sally, for checking up on me and all my friends that have reached out. Thank you, Dustin, for feeding me so much delicious food. Um, He's just like, oh, you're the best, Dustin. I love you. And so I love that. And then on a lighter note, I've been just because I just wanted something easy to watch. Even though I've already yeah. watched all of Insecure, the HBO show starring Issa Rae, written and starring, uh, I believe she produced it, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah, She like does everything. Love She's her. amazing. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but I'm rewatching all of the episodes again and I'm just like, God damn it. This is such a good fucking show. Yeah. And I'm just so in love with her. So if you are looking for something to watch, which I know we all are, uh, <laughs> highly, highly recommend. So. Um, oh, I have something. I'll have, give something light and fun recommendation. Okay. I think it was last week. Did I talk about this already? That we did a live via Zoom. We watched a live via Zoom Magic for Humans. Did I talk about this? No. It was so fun. So uh, Magic for Humans, Justin Willman is the magician and he's also a comedian. He's so great. Yeah. But he does a live show and it's for families. Like it's, I mean, we had, Max was there and he does all these interactive audience, interactive tricks. And there's like things that you do. So you're actually doing magic tricks at home with his. That's um, so cool. it, It was really cool. And I just saw that he just opened, he has done like several different shows like I think like six separate hours of shows during the quarantine and that he just has a new one that he the last one hopefully he's saying virtual shows that that he's putting on and so he just opened a new round 
of dates. So you should look into that. I think it's just probably at magicforhumans.com. And if you haven't watched the TV show, it's it's great. And it's really fun and light and good to watch with kids. And so, yeah, so I highly recommend that. Awesome. I will definitely check that out. Yeah. And I'm so sorry about Frank. I Thanks. It's it's too much, Jen. I know. It's too this much. This year is just too much. This year is I, too much. I can't. I can't. <laughs> you can't even. I can't. Okay. Well, you guys, that's our episode. We love you so much. I hope that you send us all of your vacation ideas. Um, so that we can all pay forward our vacations. We want to hear about your best ever vacation. And uh, find us on the socials. You can, if we're all at Dumb Love Podcast, you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Rate and review, subscribe, all of those things. Yes, do all of those things. And thank you guys for hanging in there and listening and um, sharing with all of your friends. We love you so much. And please get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da dum da dum da dum da dum da dum da dum